What's going on, everybody? Welcome back into another episode of the Dogs Basketball Podcast. I am Nick Malone, joined by Noah Lurch today. We will be talking about the sweep that was against the Missouri State Bears. At the very end, we'll be talking about our very first matchup in a little bit. We'll get to the history between the UIC Flames and the Salukis. Like I said, our first matchup of the season. We played them twice still. They're the only remaining team that we get twice. We will talk about that at the end. The same usual things. We'll get an update on the standings, seating probabilities, talk a little bit about the Monday teleconference. Not too much about the the uh, former Salukis, the pro Salukis. And we do have a new 2024 offer, which is an interesting one we'll dive into. We'll talk about Kennard Davis's great weekend that we were able to witness on Saturday night. And then the preview. What's going on, Noah? Let's talk about Let's talk about we'll, we'll we'll start with and I'll let you dive into it first. The news that happened today about a, a newly flexed game, which is a big deal, and then we'll dive into everything that's going on. Yeah, obviously getting another a big time game. We knew uh that for a long time that this could could be a potential spot because um I know on the webs on the Missouri Valley website this was the ESPN wildcard game they've had on forever and finally it's flexed to ESPN two um, against Bradley. I know it's a one p.m. Sunday game again, but hopefully, you tweeted made a tweet today. Hopefully, we can have a big crowd for that one. Um, it was a decent crowd for a one p.m. Sunday. I thought, besides the dog pound, was kind of down, um, but I think it was like just over fifty eight hundred Sunday. So I thought that was a pretty good um, fan base coming out for a 1 p.m. game with church going on and stuff like that. Yeah, we'll dive into that. Yeah, you're right. We kind of gradually came in as time went on. We weren't really sure what it was going to look like. And we know the weather had been previously bad, but it's all been melting away recently. It's been kind of warm out. It's kind of gloomy today. But you mentioned this matchup. Yeah, and we know, you know, they were picked second in the league. We, uh, we were picked third. So it's kind of like both these teams have lived up to this. We knew – I'm sure a lot of people knew because this is, you know, that was the highest we've been picked in a long time. And, you know, whether people thought we would actually, you know, live up to it this season. Uh, I think people had a feeling that Bradley was going to. So it's like the, the ability, yeah, you know, I mentioned it in the tweet, you know, success comes with having these kinds of flex games. We know the bad, you know, the bad teams around the league have been flexed on like CBS Sports Network, but this is ESPN2. It's one of the main networks on sports TV. So it is a big deal. And, yeah, it's good that both teams have been living up to this to to prove this kind of flex deserved. And yeah, you mentioned. I mean, yeah, we've been on. We haven't been on. The only time we've been on CBS Sports Network was the midnight games and our uh, Paradise Jam. But uh, yeah, that ESPN two New Year's Eve day we mentioned on the tweet as well. Yeah, that we had a great crowd on that one, fringe sellout. And we know all the things that went up to that typical new year stuff. They had the drinks, they had the stuff that would make people show up. And that was incredible. I mean, heck it was our only Belmont matchup as we know, and we beat them by 18 and that's a win that we know we can carry throughout a lot of this season in tiebreaker fashion and have that to our disposal. And the crowd lived up to it that day. And we're hoping for it again. Yeah. This is big news. February 19th on that Sunday, ESPN two. hoping everybody can, doesn't have to worry about watching it, um, you know, locally or fans around the country. They can maybe, go to the Banterra Center, but nationally wise to 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 maybe hope that we can get that big win would be good to see on national TV. So we wanted to start off with that. Now no, let's segue into this game. Uh 
it was an interesting one because we knew throughout the couple of days leading up to the game that they might have not had Donovan Clay or Brian Trimble, and that appeared to be the case. Clearly, they both did not play. We mentioned how Don has been dealing with sickness that had lasted almost close to two weeks now, I would say. Um, and then uh, I, I'm pretty sure Dane on the teleconference said that he should play in tomorrow's game, which is a big deal uh, for us and for them, obviously, to write shit for them in the middle of the pack. But And we know Trimble had been dealing with personal issues. That appears to still be the case. He's still out. Uh, Noah, what are some other – we were there, obviously, at a certain point. We we got to see – we weren't sure about another player that was going to play, and I don't, we'll get to the minutes. Maybe he played a little bit. Uh, but they've been dealing with injuries all season long, and we got to see N.J. Benson in this game. We'll dive into him as well. But um, – no, other than that, I mean, I'll dive into before we dive into some of the game and you get your opinions. Because at one point, I, you know, even counting the last Missouri State game on the road, we know we led wire to wire. It seemed like the two matchups with them have been our biggest 40 minute performance of the season. I don't think they were 40 minute totally, but I'd say about 38 and a half ish. We know the ending to the first matchup wasn't, it was kind of dicey. And then the beginning of this one was kind of dicey. Other than that, no, I think. Something about Missouri State matchup, they've been getting the best of us recently. We were able to get the sweep of them. Let's dive in a little bit of this game and at that point to maybe whenever it did look like they got the best of us for maybe a minute and a half in this game. Yeah, going back and watching it since then, I think they're really um, – they led for about six, six or seven minutes in this one. So um, I would say probably about 34 minutes playing full – full good basketball against this team. And we knew going into this one without two of their better players and Kendall Moore questionable, I think ended up playing about 15 minutes in this one. But obviously they got out to a, de- a little bit of a lead. Um, I think they jumped out to – it was back and forth from the start, but they got up to 16 to 10 thanks to a chance more three. But other than that, this was really controlled basically throughout by us. It was a really good job with them being shorthanded. They went to that zone – and that's where, I mean, Marcus got in the middle, and that's where Clarence and Troy D'Amico really had a good first half. Yeah, and I said a minute and a half because that's, I think, the only time, you know, in my point that it was – it kind of felt like it, there could have been a moment where we, you know, could drop this game, and it was so early. In it, but, yeah, the fact that they had a lead, got up to six, it was, you know, within six the whole time of their actual lead. So, you know, we can still play well, even if, you know, you know, cause they had still had talent on the floor that uh, even if it was like back and forth, you know, still it was at hand. It was probably like barely any time where it felt like it wasn't in our favor, but yeah, this was the Troy first half. You mentioned some zone here. He was kind of in the middle. Yes. Marcus was kind of in the middle and, you know, we'll get to it of, you know, things SIU probably could have done more against that zone, whether, whether it was playing certain people whether it was just attacking certain moments and Troy got the best of that. No, I think he had like 12 points in six minute time in this first half. He was getting calls. He was getting and ones. They were finding him. I mean, even in this zone and we had SAU fans around us that were calling it out. It was kind of like the obvious kind of things that you play with a zone. Uh, you know, Clarence got some get nice looks from Marcus and X throughout to get, to give us these layups. Um, but yeah, we meant, I mean, uh, James Graham hit a three, and, you know, we mentioned about his health coming in here. I mean, he was spotty at times, but he we know he can hit the shot. I mean, Noah, that was on that end. Diving a little bit, too, because obviously Austin Mason have been red hot going into this game. And our sw- dive into your thoughts on a couple of things here. Dive into your, things on, on your points on the zone 
and how, you know, teams should be at this level, be prepared for them more would seem like, because I think we saw it a little bit in the first matchup we talked about earlier today. Dive into that and what maybe who we could have had on the floor, what more people could have been done. And then mention also on the other end on defense and our switches, Austin Mason got Marcus on him a lot and really didn't take advantage of it. Yeah, definitely with the zone. I mean, we've seen it a little bit here, mostly Missouri state. We've seen a little bit from Illinois state at times during different spurts of the game, but um, it's just when we get in the most of the time in that first half, it was Troy and Marcus and either JD or Clarence on that floor and there's just guys that also on the floor, like Jawan, that's – I mean, he's capable. He knocks them down every once in a while. But Trent, Trent Brown played, I think, about five minutes in that first half. You're not really kicking the shooter, so it's hard to – if you're Marcus in that mi- middle to be able to kick to a guy, that's where I thought uh, Trent Brown or even Foster trying to get some minutes in, from him in that first half uh, because this was a first half where – Lance Jones doesn't show up again. One of six from the floor, zero of five from three. Not a lot of not a lot of shooters. And this is a team that's in the first half they took fifteen threes. I think in the game ended up taking um, thirty two. If you're gonna play against the zone and take that many threes, I feel like Trent Brown and Foster need to see more time on the floor. But um, Marcus in this one, he hit two threes in the first half. He was able to knock them down. Trent hit one. He was one of two from three in that first half. But it was good to see Marcus be able to get in that middle, him and Troy, and find Clarence or J.D. J.D. was big on some offensive rebounds. But, yeah, on the other end, I mean, Austin, he didn't really take over, start taking over until that second half, and it was too late. But um, they were they were using Damian Mayo, who Marcus was – that was his – assignment and they were switching and Austin really I mean he was getting downhill but he was passing out to guys or passing to a big man he could uh if he would have used he took six shots in the first half three or six for uh scored seven points but if he was more aggressive like he was down that stretch in that second half um they could have taken more control of this game but um them being shorthanded with that zone really killed him and Austin Mason not being really aggressive in that first half and we talked about that because our players don't take advantage of uh, mismatches at all. And it seemed like Austin would be a player to not, you know, it's like they expect, you know, a double team. They expect something to happen before it even does. And we weren't really, we were, I mean, our help defense isn't great. Like I just think of Clarence down there, who's kind of like, I and mean, he has a big matchup against Mogbo, but he's kind of got his back turned maybe to the side that Austin Mason's going. So he had the full one-on-one isolation that he didn't take advantage of. And, you know, we were letting Marcus out on an island there. So, you know, we know Brian would trust Marcus in that moment. We know he's he's got awful defense a lot of the time, and trust him against a guard is is something. I just hate that, you know, in certain adjustments of – or non-adjustments of just, you know, playing right into their hands. I mean, you get that matchup. I mean, it's kind of just – it's clearly a screen to made it, make it happen. You don't even have to do it. It's not even like, you know, you have to – you know, trail somebody off of a screen so hard when they're rolling, they're not even rolling. They're just stepping and getting out of the way just to try to get it. Like, they don't even have to make the switch. And I feel like those are those end-moment things where you don't stick to the script and you can kind of just, like, wave off your teammate and say, no, I got it, that kind of thing. And it's easier said than done, but I feel like, you know, that that's something that maybe should happen. And uh, you're right, because even on the offensive end against the zone, exactly. You know, if Donovan Clay plays in this game, who knows? He's the best, arguably pound-for-pound, pound, the best defender 
in the league. Uh, and he clearly makes a difference whether it's, you know, if they stick to man to man, he's on Marcus and the whole game's different. Yeah, they go to zone because they were undermanned. And, you know, they had some lulls. You know, they'll leave a guy open. And, you know, all the time that's either, you know, it was Lance getting open along the baseline and missing threes, or it'll go to our non shooters and Dalton and Troy. But one thing we've noticed about those two and even Trent, they're okay to have on that side to an extent because they'll rip and try to drive. We know Troy loves to try to go baseline. He gets shut off a lot and then makes a pass. Dalton will penetrate. And then Trent, you know, if he doesn't get the separation for a shot, he'll look to penetrate to the middle and then kick out. So, but we definitely need those shooters in there. And Lance, those are the best looks Lance is going to get. And Foster should have definitely came in because they can leave an assignment and leave him wide open in the corner. No doubt about it. And yeah, we could have maybe got Trent some openings, but then Marcus did find those openings. Yeah, I mentioned it was kind of the Troy first half for their end. It was kind of original. He was all over the place in the first half started. This was a game where I was thinking, you know, original is kind of that stretch for we know we can shoot. He missed a couple, but he he's a menace on the offensive boards. And this was a moment we haven't experimented yet. It's been mentioned. Don't want to play Clarence with the Scotty or Clarence with the JD. But Clarence, I think, was an okay matchup for original compared to him on Mogbo because JD played phenomenal on Mogbo and um you know yeah, we could have seen a lot of things in this uh first half chance more hit a couple threes in this first half to get them going X hit a three uh Mogbo was tough I mean he was making tough shots in the lane uh JD was making layups I mean we'll get into JD more of what he had in the second if he actually had two layups here near the end of the first half he was phenomenal so uh, Lance had a layup off a steal right before the half to give us a four-point lead at the half. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, some of those stats, Noah, that stuck out in the first half, you kind of mentioned some of Lance was not good from a team perspective. I mean, yeah, they, they only shot four threes. They made them all. It was kind of like you didn't want to give them any any room because you we know they're a good shooting team. Um, yeah, 4-15 on our end. Um, what else stuck out? here that probably was a difference you know it was close in paint points I think our turnover margin was something to watch here in the first half no what else stuck out to you and then take us through bits of the second half and when we pushed ahead yeah definitely the the turnovers in that first half for them they had 10 compared to our four so um, we got some extra possessions and took advantage a little bit I mean you're up four and they shot nearly 60 percent from the field you mentioned 100 percent from three they got the line twice but knocked both of those down so um, compared to our 26% from three in that first half, shot 50 from the field. So Troy and Clarence and Marcus were thriving down low. But, um, yeah, besides, I mean, besides Lance struggling in that first half, it was pretty, pretty overall good first half, knowing that they were shooting the ball so well, and that would probably change in the second half because we were a second-half team. But, yeah, really, I mean, it's been a tale of tale – of, Two halves for us here recently. You watched Lance Jones, and Lance Jones showed up again in the second half like he has been. Um, if he could show up for a whole game, it'd be crazy to see because right here and there with 1858, I mean, he hits a three, then he hits another three. We're up 10 just like that. Uh, after that second three, Mogbo hit a jumper. Um, then Mason got to the line. They cut it to 42-36. Uh, Clarence got to the line. Uh, then Lance hit a layup. We started taking control. Lance hit an and one. Um, it was 46-36 with the under-16 under 16 timeout just around the corner. 
Lance is just – we're running out of words for him. We're, we, we've accepted what he is to this point. Yeah, one of six, 0 for 5, and then he hits two right out of the break. And as soon as he sees one, then he'll shoot the next couple from wherever. And he was able to knock those first two to give us that lead. Dano doesn't mess around. I mean, when we got an early lead in the first half, he took a quick timeout, and it was the same – and this one, along the way, they took a timeout after Lance's second three. And that, you know, and I think he'd be smart to manage his timeouts if he knew his team could claw back down the stretch of a game. But he'll discipline his guys. You can you can see it. I mean, he'll get in their face and stuff. And, uh, you know, I think clearly you want to kill the momentum, and he wants to do it. I mean, it was a minute and a half, minute and a half. So, uh, but, I mean, out of that, they get a layup from Ogbo as soon as that timeout happened. And you mentioned some other things. Yeah, Austin Mason, a couple free throws. I mean, he got in foul trouble mainly in the second half. There were moments, and when he got his fourth foul near the end, it was a play on one of those Trent drives. Uh, or it just involved Trent. He fouled him. Uh, so, and you mentioned not taking advantage of you know the mismatches in the first half, and even here in the second, his foul trouble obviously made it that way, and it could have been interesting. No, let's talk about NJ Benson and what our thoughts were. I wish people would ask Dana about him, you know, because he's the only. We know Mayo's plan, but, you know, Ben's, NJ's got, you know, a really high ceiling, it, it seems like. And seeing him in moments, I mean, he was getting the best of Clarence at times. NJ didn't look great. No, we saw him in warm-ups practicing his free throws, knowing he was going to play. He played a decent amount. And even when he messed up, Dana wouldn't really react and look like on the sideline. What do you see from NJ? We talked about him a lot, tweeted about him. He was one of our biggest targets, zero doubt about it, you know, this past uh, recruiting class, recruiting cycle, and we didn't get him. Of course, he he goes there. We talked about what the final four were. We couldn't think of maybe if it was three or four. Didn't land us, but no, what, what are your thoughts on his game? Because I think he'll be a problem for us down the road, and he was giving some of our guys fits here when he got comfortable more in the game. Yeah, obviously, I mean, having a guy like this in your backyard, I mean, you got to be able to land these type of guys. Obviously, playing the little bit that he did, but just – and the rawness you see in him, but his size and athleticism um, is something you just can't teach. It's just down the road. If he can develop after another year behind Mogbo next year um, as a, as a, as a junior, he could be a real problem for us. I mean, if he can consistently work on those free throws, that's what we saw him at halftime and before the game. That's really all he did. He got to that free throw line he was one and five, and the one of one of five for this one. So it's one of those things where if you have the fouls to give, he gets down low. You might as well foul him. You know he's not going to make him with the line right now. But um, obviously, like I say, a little raw. But as the time develops, he could be a very good big man in this league. Yeah, we noticed how big he looked out there. I mean, there he was playing him like a five. Yeah, backing up Mogbo, and we know the recruiting pitch could be for NJ. We mentioned how you know, maybe some ties he would have there, but just the fact that he could sell him on Gage Prim and the potential of him uh, kind of thing. And we noticed, I mean, he was taller than JD at times, taller than Clarence. I mean, he's grown, it looked like. And we know that kind of everything he did at, at Mount Vernon, that now he might be able to have to play for Dana as a five along the road, but he'll be more versatile. He can obviously dribble the ball down the court. They don't need him to along the way, though. You're right, by his junior year, he'll be a problem. We mentioned how, the three bigs, you know, obviously us getting Cade, Robbie, and Indiana State, who's already got a big-time head start on both NJ and Cade. And NJ even has, you know, he's played in more games than Cade, obviously. And they all have, like I said, uh, kind of head starts on Cade. But we talked about this kind of 
freshman big class over the course of time. And I even obviously if K manages, you know, over time to play meaningful minutes for us, that thinking about this freshman class in general, we talk about what's what else is around the league. It's a special 2022 class. That's going to, you know, most of them are going to have great careers in the league. So it's interesting. So I wanted to dive into him. Because, you no, know, I mean, throughout the stretch, I mean, they had, you mentioned uh, Mayo. He cut it to a four-point lead. Thankfully, X had a three. Uh, and then Lance had a three. We're up by 10. And they went on a small little run again, got within eight. Uh, JD had a layup, a nice whatever. I mean, no, throughout all this, whenever they were trying to score on us on the one end, uh, you know, JD was tipping balls out, you know, creating fast breaks, just absolute perfect game. JD arguably played. I mean, I'll let you dive into him. And then, I mean, for the most part, you know, I'll touch on the fact that all three of our, we mentioned, you know, recruiting classes, our 2021 class of Troy, Scotty, and Foster all were in the game at the same. I don't recall clearly if, since they've all been back, if they had been, you know, so one of those things that, you know, you play through a stretch of a game and you don't even really notice, so, but I'm thinking that clearly this was, and it was in garbage time throughout. Uh, first time that's happened. Hopefully we could see more of it as time goes on. You know, there's so many topics of, you know, what could be moving forward after this season, obviously, but I mean, no, they, they all kind of have, we know all of their skill sets. Scotty's in the paint. He played well in his time. Foster got a couple shots and then Troy is what he is kind of how they fit together with two other players on the floor and dive into what you think, how that can work moving forward. And obviously if you throw in a Kate, Kate and Scott are going to play at the same time, but that class of that trio, and if they can all play on the court at the same time and then dive into your thoughts on JD. Cause like I said, he was 10 balls out forcing fast breaks, doing everything for us on defense, saving us at times. Yeah, obviously uh, those three, I mean, we should see him on the floor more, more often. I mean, a lot of fans, have said that. I mean, Scotty and Foster, the lack of their minutes is just crazy at this point. You could, especially uh, both of them. I mean, their stretches you can you can play, um, play them at, and it's just it's unlikely to see. And it, I think it's real realistically. I think it's unlikely to see him in the future. All three together on the court because I don't think I think one of them will eventually. Besides Troy, I think the one of the other two will leave um, for more playing time somewhere else. But yeah, JD's big. I mean, what he's doing rebounding wise, it wasn't a, a eight, nine, ten game like he's had, but he had five in this one, four offensive ones that I think we got layups on in those four ones. So he's been big down the stretch rebounding. He's been in those lineups, in those closing lineups, helping this team when we need it. Um, to back up Clarence, his energy is bringing, he's all over the place. Um, he, he ran the floor once and Marcus threw him a pass, probably shouldn't throw him a pass like that. Um, but he was able to kick it out. Just a big time performance, six points, five rebounds. And his then talking just over Scotty real quick, he only played three minutes, but he had three rebounds, two offense ones. So that's just the impact he made. Don't understand why he's not playing more. So, um, just big time by those guys. We know if he, if Scotty could just give us, if he was able to play a little bit, I just would love to see it because I, I know he can help us in those lack of their lack of their of when we have those stretches in that first half, we like, we always do. We have good starts, but have a seven minute lull instead of maybe bringing in JD, are you bringing a guy like Scotty that 
JD's getting those four off of rebounds, but he's not going right back up. I know Scotty will go right back up and probably score. So maybe that's where you could find minutes for him. But other than that, I don't see much him seeing any playing time because it looks like Brian is pretty dead set on JD Clarence rotation and sometimes Troy at the five. Yeah, and we and Troy was on in the doghouse. We'll we'll dive into some words that he said because he even was asked about his recruiting class also, and about Foster and Scotty saying how hard they worked and they were in the gym constantly and, and their redshirt years saying how it's not easy for a lot of people and they withstood it and here they are and he was touching on that a little bit and some things that he can um, you know talk to them about since he has an extra year playing time at this level for them and. Yeah, I mean, Brian, and we talked about, you know, when Mike asked him about Scotty, he said he's still, you know, getting used to, you know, things that would seem like it's kind of how Jawan said that we've discussed of getting used to the playbook. It's like, yeah, we know we have that, but we know we live through Marcus. So it's like you're kind of can we mentioned the freelance thing before of how this team kind of operates, that it's kind of like something that you really, you know, it's not like you really have to learn a whole lot of it. Uh, and even defensively, I mean, Scotty is, and that is something I guess we'll never understand because, yeah, Mogbo in this game, and well, he only had like he only had however many rebounds, uh, you know. But he's a matchup, and we talked about with the Bradley, you know, when they come to our place, it'll be the case. When we play Brody this weekend, like we saw Scotty against Brody for what what that was thirty seconds that one time, and uh, like to see more of it. And we know he can impact it. That's why like, we talk ourselves in circles of why it doesn't make sense. And you're right, Brian probably does have his mind made up, but we talked about how they can use all three bigs. Even like throughout a game, if you, if you played all four, you can play certain, certain or whichever ones to a certain media timeout through a stretch. You can use them all. Cause you're right. And Clarence, you know, Clarence scores a lot at the beginning of the year, he was making contested layups. Now it almost seems like he has to be wide open because he, you know, there was one time he, he went one of two from the free throw line because he, uh, you know, he missed, you know, a decent look and the guy to back got fouled. But you're right, Scotty will look to finish and, you know, bulldoze through everybody. You're right, J.D. will immediately try to, like, kick it out and or his reverse layup. Clarence and J.D. kind of play below the rim at times when they're there. Scotty plays kind of above it. You're right. They could, they could work with it a lot more over time. It is unfortunate. Even Foster's case, especially when you're when you're against a zone, you, want, you need your shooters out there. So um, diving into this box score. And team stats now, Marcus, 12 points on 11 shots. We mentioned how he wasn't taking advantage of some mismatches when he was in the middle of the zone. He was kind of doing something. You mentioned the pass to J.D. unnecessary. Uh, he had three turnovers in this game. But, um, you know, if Clay, if Clay played, he probably plays worse. So we caught a break there. He still played well. He had four steals himself, still led us in minutes with 35. Him and Lance both had four steals apiece. I think there was a – we'll get into stats here. Where they rank, I'm pretty sure Lance is about – four to six or so steals from being top five in SAU history, which is crazy. But I mentioned, yeah, Lance had, you know, however many points in the first half, that layup before half ended up with 16 second half points and had 18 total. It's crazy how you blink, you blink an eye and he has 18 at the end of the day. It was perfect from the free throw line at 28 minutes. Um, Troy ended up with three second half points uh, on that three. That was near the end to finally push it to what the final score was. He was five of six overall, four of four. And 19 minutes, had a block. Lance had a block, so did X. X was fine in this game. He only had six points. But, I mean, Dana talked on the teleconference about, 
giving us fits and we'll get into a topic they had there, but he was talking about defensive players and giving them fits on the ball. And at the point guard position, he didn't mention X um, on that. So whether X is only scoring six on six shots, five threes, um, you know, he's obviously impacting on the defensive end. Um, he had turnovers and two turnovers in 30 minutes. Clarence got most of his scoring in the first half at four rebounds himself. we got some key defensive rebounds, you know, having guys on his back, getting the quick ones he had, or the big ones he had, 16. Uh, he played 16 minutes. J.D., six points. You mentioned the five rebounds, 21 minutes, two steals for J.D. I mentioned some of those tip-outs. And then we mentioned the garbage time for a lot. Saw A.J. down the stretch here. Uh, Marcus Lettuce with seven assists. And we mentioned, you know, kind of the 40-minute game. There were moments where it got a little dicey the more I thought about it. Now, I, I watched a little bit of the – I watched it back also on the app. Um on Sunday, Sunday evening. And, uh, you know, it's kind of one of those games again where you, you pull away and then you kind of just, you know, we, we've been talking about it now for however long now, but it's kind of those, you, you, you pick apart some moments, but then you can kind of just move on. It was just one of those wins. They didn't have two of the top guys. We know they still have talent, you know, even missing those two and Trimble's had spotty minutes all year, had 20 on us the last game. And we know Clay's impact. They still had good players to put up a fight. So it shows, you know, we outscored them 37 to 21 in the second half. So, um, you know, overall, it was obviously a quality game. Noah, some team stats. Uh, I noticed we, you know, we barely outdid them in points in the paint. Usually when that's the case, we win games. What else stuck out to you? Uh, and then think about – and then go through Missouri State's box score if you wouldn't care after you talk about our team stats and then give – because there are two guys we think that we could be dog of the game. I don't think we've been talking about dogs of the game whenever we – Whenever we win, but I think there are two prime candidates for this one. I'll get that from you as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, our 26 bench points, I mean, if we're getting um, bench points like that, production, and what we get from Lance and Marcus, that's big time. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, we knew being up four and the way they shot in the first half, they would not shoot like that in the second half, and that was the case. They were 35% from the field in the and 14% from three in that second half. They were 42% from the free throw line, a six for 14. So um, Mason and Chance Moore led the way. I mean, Mason had half their turnovers. He had eight turnovers alone. Um, There's a lot on his shoulders, especially with Clay and Trimble out. So um, just, yeah, just one of those games where took care of business. We knew what they would be um, – they would give us a little fight, but without their two, with two, without Don, especially Don and Tremble, what he can do off the bench. Um, it was just one of those games where in the second half, the second half, Saluki showed up again and dominated, only allowing 21 points. So took care of business. That's all you needed to do. And, and you got to do that again tomorrow night. Yeah, it's ridiculous how we shot 32 threes on the main nine of them. I mean, that continues to be a problem. And we mentioned how we got some good looks against the zone. And I mean, we had more offensive rebounds in them. And I know Clay has a lot to do with that. You know, Reginald was doing, you know, really good at, it at the start of the game. We know Mogbo. And then even James Graham. Seems like James Graham plays like he's a three man. You know, he doesn't really get down into the paint. I guess he doesn't have to with the other guys in there. And he kind of just remains around the three point line. He didn't do a whole lot. Uh, to factor in this game, but um, we mentioned how, yeah, nine turnovers. I mean, we, we talked about it. If we lead in paint points and have under 10 turnovers, 10 or less, you know, we have, we have a lot of wins in that regard. And I think the previous one I, I talked about recently was 
either either Illinois State or Bradley, we had 10, I think, on the done. We obviously lost. I think it was Bradley. Um, but, yeah, 26 bench points, Noah, because those two guys I mentioned are potential dogs of the game. It seems like – I feel like – I mean, we could give it to both because, obviously, Troy has the points. And, clearly, when he was scoring and getting the layups and finishing and finishing his free throws uh, – you know, we went four for four from the free throw line. It seemed like for him because he kind of escalated the score a little bit and gave us some key points, ones that we weren't really expecting, and we can't expect that every single night. Clearly, we just we mentioned the JD tip outs and his his defense and his ability to score, as, you know, himself. I think I you know we can end up giving it to Troy in that regard because those paints were ever so important. But you couldn't go wrong with either. They factored in too. They're a big reason, obviously, why game by game. If, we want to win that there would be reason why off of the bench so some quick quotes by brian he said quote i'm proud of our guys that's a tough team and it's always tough to beat a team twice and to come back after a couple of tough losses i thought the i thought the fans were great it was a great environment today defensively we played for 40 minutes offensively we still have some things to work on but that's a good win end quote i definitely agree with that and then he, he spoke on troy he said quote i think that might have been one of his best games in an siu jersey that's been one of our strengths all season having different guys step up when we need them to end quote so i mentioned he was in the in the doghouse he kind of talked about his role and what it was like playing the five what it was like you know talking to marcus he says marcus has been a huge leader uh you know, and he's been getting more and more acclimated. We know we, you know, we see his dad on Twitter a lot. He had a tweet at one point talking about what he had been doing at the start of 2023. And obviously it was really good. And that carries over into this performance today. So those are mainly the takeaways. Um, no, I had something that, you know, we always can, uh, well, let me quickly before I dive into that, let me, let me go back to, I mentioned, how close Lance seems to be in steals. Mike posted a lot of the stats updates in that regard. So Lance in steals, he's eighth. He's got 168. He's right behind Chris Lowry. He mentioned how he just needs four more to pass Sterling Mayhan for fifth all the time. That's the case. We know, you know, we I was listening to some, uh, some flashbacks and Darren still has the record for, in a game with eight. Uh, I think about, you know, Lance and X both had six in a game this season. So I don't know if anyone will ever get to eight. Lance seems like a prime guy to do that. He'll break that in no time. Marcus is now 28th and rebounding at 521, only in 98 games. He's tied with Armand, and he did it in about 19 less games than Armand did. Uh, I think that was that was a low-key part of Armand's game, to be honest. We know everything that he was able to do. Three-pointers. Lance is up there. He's sixth in uh, May – Feel, uh, made threes per game. He's sixth as well. Marcus is ninth. And then attempts, Lance is sixth all time with about five a game. That's escalated this year, no doubt. And he's clearly not in the top 10 for percentage. Gosh, I don't even want to know what he is. He's 33%. Marcus is a 35. The 10th on Tony Young on that list is 39. So Lance will keep falling on that. He won't ever be that high in that mark. But Lance did crack uh, 1,400 points for his career now, which is awesome in 111 games. Marcus has done 1486 and 98. He's right behind Sterling Mahan, about 15 points away from him. And then assists, Marcus is 12th, 323 and 98 games. Lance, 111 games, 271. So they're both up there in that. It's always, we don't see it every game from Mike, but we know. I think the most important one of that is Lance is so close in steals, and then he reached 1400 himself in points. And you know, let's quickly dive into this. You know, I whenever you're rewatching it, you see on Valley Sports Midwest, they'll have a feature on a certain player. And 
uh, Marcus was on there and, you know, he talks about the certain things. A lot of things are always asked is why he came to SIU and all these other things. And he talked about how, you know, he trusted the staff a lot. He knew the history here and wanted to take a shot. And clearly he's built his own legacy. This is a topic I feel like we always have. I just wanted to touch on it because we talked amongst ourselves of, you know, because he was he was asked. I don't even, we don't remember the question. He immediately just jumped into an answer of uh, he does plan on playing professionally whenever he's done here, whether that's overseas or whatever, because Noah senior night's right around the corner. And we don't even want to, you know, you know, the fact that it'll be here before we know it, that you and I game and how it'll be treated knowing the COVID year is in the back pocket. A lot of these guys, um, I guess, like I said, we talk about it a lot, you know, and, you know, we've had kind of the same thoughts. I just didn't know if you saw that as well and factored into, let's say the success is there at the end of this season. And Marcus does whatever he can. He's a top three finalist for player of the year and he's on the first team. And he, cause he kind of mentioned success. He wants a championship. Obviously we all do. Um, uh, I wonder if, and it's all just a wait and see if that would even happen, but just the fact that I wonder if he would use his fifth year here, knowing what he would do statistically. And if we, let's say we won a regular season title, a championship that he's been asking for, do you think that would be the peak of what he think he would be here? Clearly you want to, let's say he, we, we do it and we get close in the tournament or something. And he says, Oh, let's do it again. Let's run it back. He could very well do that. Do you think if we had a regular season title and got to this point, or got to that point with everything he's done that he would say, I got nothing else to prove here. And we got to the, to the peak of my time here. Do you think there's potential for that? I guess him and Lane. No, I don't think so. I don't think a regular season title is enough. I think this team wants to uh, play deep into March and see what they can do in the big tournament. Um, and if they can, if they, in your example, if they got to deepen arch madness and got to Sunday and they were just there, and barely lose on Sunday, I think that would just leave them with the thing in their head knowing that they can do it, and that would just bring them back next year. So um, I think that's it's not a regular season title isn't enough. I think both of them will be back, um, and I think potentially, I mean, if they have eligibility, I I would wouldn't I would see everybody come back. I know a lot of fans. Um, wouldn't don't, don't want Trent Brown coming back, but like if Trent's going to use his extra year, I can see it happening and them running it back and adding um, maybe one more transfer in there. Maybe not JD. It's up to JD, but can de- I don't think that would be enough, but um, just looking at recent Valley games, jumping into that um, we know is a crazy weekend loaded Valley um, double OT game again, then uh, some blowouts here and there, but um, on Saturday, Evansville traveled to UIC. Does not get look like maybe for a little bit they could get their first victory in the Valley play, but that's not the case. Uh, Stephen Clay, one of the great freshmen UIC has, led the way with 17 points um, as they beat the Purple Aces, Strawbridge with 20. Then the blo- the blowout I mentioned, Indiana State defeats Murray State, a terrible road team. 99-56, just crazy blowout game we were following through that day. 19 of 38 from three-point land um, for the Sycamores. That's 50%. That is unreal, um, blowing a team out like that. Um, 
just crazy to see McCauley, 23 points. He was the newcomer of the week in the Valley. Rob Perry with 14 for the racers. Just um, The racers are trying to figure out what's going on on the road, but like I told you, this isn't the OVC. You have to show up every day on the road in the Valley, and it's always going to be a grind. They have found out that this year. Belmont beats Illinois State 90-75. to 75. Um, Bronze, 18 points um, for the Bruins, 17 from Shepard, 16 from Tyson, 14 from Fryerberg. Um, Bid Shepard was the player of the week in the Valley this week. Um, for Illinois State side, Burford um, wearing the mask, still with that um, orbital bone, I think, in his face, 15 points for him. So um, big game for Illinois State tomorrow night with a rivalry game. But Bradley goes on the road. I figured they would pull this one out when we needed uh, you and I to win this one just for um, the lead's sake. Um, 77-69, Malavi Leones, 19 points. Mass had 18. Hickman was 17, 5 of 7 from 3. That's uh, His five threes was, I think I've seen, like the most ever in a game at the McLeod Center from an opponent, which is crazy to think about. Um, for you and I, it was Betts with 16 to lead the way. Then then the nightcap, Drake Valpo, double OT I mentioned, 85-82 win for the Bulldogs. They squeak out another double OT game, back-to-back double OT games. Tucker had 32 in this one. Ben Cricky did foul out but ended up with 27 points. He fouled out in the first couple minutes of the first overtime. Um, crazy games. It's – we know there's still a tie at the top of the valley with four teams, but crazy games of games, especially that double OT one this weekend. Yeah, before we had the plans that day, streaming while we were working the UIC Evansville, and it seemed like Evansville would have had a chance. USC pulled away. You mentioned play and some of their other guys that kind of like they were just hitting threes. I remember watching before it got out of hand. I really don't know what to say about the Indiana State-Murray game. Murray was riding those two nice wins. It seemed like they had been – you know, kind of, uh, you know, they just beat Belmont by a nose, clearly. And they are the epitome of, you know, we thought at the beginning of the year it was that we had Drake and Bell or Drake and Bradley. You know, their road records weren't great. I think they were below 500 or around it. And obviously they all, you know, they, Drake, Bradley, and us all have one home loss. That That's kind of the name of what this league is. I mean, I think even Evansville, you know, they have an under – they're the only team with under 500 record. Everyone else is 500 or better. It's kind of the way of the road, but to lose by 43 is – I don't even know what to say because I remember the game Murray beat Indiana State and Murray. Uh, McCauley was five of – he made, he was like five of ten from three and the rest of the team was 0 for 20. So total flip of the script this game with the with the program record 19. You mentioned some of – I mean, they're just so deep. They, I mean, Murray had to – Murray played a lot of guys and they, you know, they ended up doing it because of the blowout, but – uh, that's one thing Indiana State can just, you know, pour it on you at one point. Murray isn't, as we know, an adequate defensive team. So, I mean, it shouldn't happen. We know it was kind of manageable at half, I believe, and then it kind of – let's find that. It was 28-40, to 40, you know, down 12 in the first half, and then they out, got outscored by 31 in the second. It's just ridiculous. Um, you know, Steve Prone probably wasn't too happy about that, but we know they have one tonight. They have to make up for it. Uh, you know, so Belmont, you know, yeah, they had really had no problem with Illinois State at, at any point. We were hoping Northern Iowa would scrape by with that win, thinking they were going to. Bradley was just too much. You mentioned Hickman's performance. Nothing really can do about that. 
And then, yeah, that game, it was crazy because, yeah, Cricky fell there right before the first overtime. And, you know, as soon as Valpo would hit a huge shot, whether it was Kobe King or someone else, hit a huge shot, you know, Drake would go immediately down and Sturt's got an and one. They'd go down and Tucker would get an and one or score somehow. And you're right, Tucker got his career high of 32 as a sophomore. Insane. We were hoping for some help. And that's why it put some pressure on us the next day knowing that we didn't get help and everyone else won that with or without clay going into the game, we weren't sure before the game. It was like, this was a huge game for us. And luckily we were able to, to win and win the way that we did the standings. Now look, yeah, it is a dead tie still at 10 and four with us, Drake Belmont Bradley. We still would be the one seed if it ended today. Drake still has the best overall record at 19 and six. We're 18 and seven. The other two are 17 and eight. Indiana state's riding hot. Now that's a, I mean, a huge win against a good team, but obviously that massive win itself. They're the only nine and five team. Murray, Missouri State, and you and I are eight and six. Now you and I has dropped a couple, which is crazy. Um, Illinois State finally got a loss back, five and nine. Valpo four and ten. UIC two and twelve, and Evansville zero and fourteen. Uh, that is what happened. Yes, yeah, some games didn't get help, so be it. We move on. Got favorable matchup compared to what others have. We'll dive into those in a second. No seeding probabilities came out. Dive into those because we know those are ever-changing. I barely dove into the last two because there's a lot of numbers and what can happen. But clearly, clearly they can obviously matter. Dive into what those look like this week from Hackman. Yeah, definitely interesting in seeing the changes with his simulations and um, the protector ratings that show the percentages. Um, we're down to a 24% chance for that one seed. We also have a 24% chance for that two seed, a 21% for three, 17 for four, 10% for five. So um, looking pretty good for that top four seed. Drake is now, or Drake at 28% for first seed, 33% for Bradley, 12% for Belmont, 3% for Indiana State. Um, the simulations as day, if it ended, it would be the Bradley Braves, the one, the Drake Bulldogs, the two, us the three, Belmont four, um, Indiana State five, Missouri State six, UNI seven, Murray State eight, um, then Illinois State nine, then Valpo ten, UIC eleven, and obviously Evansville finishing last. It's still crazy to see that their percentage for twelfth place is only ninety four percent. I think that should be at a hundred by now. Yeah, that just shows you the, you know, because, you know, might not win a game and they're still two games behind UIC. And UIC, I think, has got some eh, games. We know the one they have coming up. They have some tough ones still, but we'll get into them, how they can they can win some games down the stretch. Who knows? But, um, yeah, I think the team to watch out for now, and it, it, it was kind of the case until they kind of fell off as Indiana State because everyone's been talking about, for you know, for what it's worth, the strength of schedule favors them down the stretch. And now they're not in five right behind. If somebody slips up, whether that's the game tonight or the games this week, us included, just in general, uh, you know, Indiana State will be right there waiting in the wings to grab a potential spot, barring tiebreakers. So that's a team we got to continue to watch out for. Good thing we already got our games with them out of the way and a split. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of new brackets this week. None of them have us. A lot of them have Drake mainly. I think I saw one Bradley potentially. That might have been Joe Lenardi's. Don't have any of those to talk about so it's the first time in a while we've been on those Rocco Miller has us down his 22nd in the third tier of his um top 60 non-power conference teams he's got Drake sitting at eight 
We're in Bradley's at 21st, Belmont 23rd. So we got three Valley teams right there, neck and neck with one another, all four of these teams. Uh, there is a mid-major 25, which even the app and the school kind of mentions a lot. So this is kind of a big deal over time in terms of what they see, you know, themselves. Drake is the seven. We're the 13th ranked mid-major, according to them. So I guess that's the only thing to really brag about this week, mentioning not being on any brackets. And then, no, we listen on Monday teleconference. I mentioned they're really the only thing to take away from that. I'll, I'll let you dive into um, – even what Yakovich said, we could save it to the end. You know, I think the only thing we don't even know who it was from like at least half the coaches on the on the teleconference. They were asking, <clears throat> they were asking, uh, you know, what the coaches' uh, opinions were on who's player of the year, who's defensive player of the year, and they were he was kind of harping on them, especially Darren DeVries asking him, "Hey, well, because he said he didn't know," and then he was like, "Okay, okay, coach, let's try to build your fantasy team." Or like, not really leaving them alone about it. It's interesting to get their takes because we know they coaches have a lot of say in voting for who's makes these teams, along with maybe some media members. That's maybe important. Anything else stick out to you in the teleconference? And like I said, kind of from that, or even Yakovich's interview of, um, you know, what he said about certain of his guys and the road that he's been on at this point. Yeah, there wasn't a lot to take from. Um, there wasn't – I know Jacobson wasn't available because of uh, scheduling issues and sounded like with uh, Casey Alexander, they had to push him back a little bit later. So just some scheduling. But, yeah, I mean, they asked – I think Bucky was asking Brian about his usual question if he saw anything um, different than – at what they talked about after the game. And it's usually the same stuff from Brian because usually Brian sees what he sees in the game and doesn't change much from um, watching the film back, but not a lot to take from that. But Yaklich's um, just his interview, then his interview today with uh, Rodney Watson, just his, where he's been. He was on that Michigan run when they went to the championship. He was with Texas with Shaka Smart. He was on those Illinois state teams when they won. Um, a championship in 2017. So crazy to see the success, the the staffs he has been on. Um, now his third season here with UIC. Um, you'd think maybe with those staffs he was on, he'd have a – he would have got a bigger job at some point along the way, but here he is with um, at UIC and with a young team doing a decent job so far. Yeah, and they went into yeah his his high school coaching career and how successful that was before he came and with the ranks and right he's been a lot of places on John Beeline staff and the Michigan team so he's he's seen the NCAA tournament he's seen those kind of roads to get on because we know that Michigan team that he was on beat Loyola in the uh, final four and then was the runner up that season so um, or even the Michigan teams before that he's he's been around no doubt about it so. Oh, yeah, it was the previous one, the Trey Burke, Tim Hardaway Jr. one. Um, yeah, and, and even on, on those teleconference, they obviously could be longer. The same people are in there. The same questions are kind of asked. They need to at least get the, the get the right people in there to ask questions and at least have every coach in there from five to ten minutes. It could be up to five or six or seven, <clears throat> but then most of them are in there for maybe three minutes, and there's only Harry Schrader. Bless him because he's if, if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have a lot of you know coverage itself. So we just talk about those. We love listening to them every Monday. They come out late and we like to listen for any anything that comes out, but they could do a lot more with those as we know quickly. The only pro Saluki to mention 
uh, because, you know, it's getting to the G League all-star break and stuff. Cash has still got a coach's decision. Haven't seen a whole lot of KV on. I'm pretty sure the Long Island Nets play tonight. Uh, but Barrett on the on February 5th, a couple days ago, and another win that they had, they have won six straight, him and his team. He had 19-9 and in 30 minutes, 6 of 10. From the field, went perfect from the free throw line. Uh, so obviously good news on Barrett there. We had a really good game. Those nine rebounds is crazy. We talk about we miss him a lot these days. So he's the only one to update on. Now, no, let's talk about before we dive into Kennard's big game in this in this uh, weekend that we were able to see. Let's dive into because I've been seeing on the feed a little bit now. There's some 2024 guys that are starting to have offers. Put them on Twitter. You know, starting to get that that ground running a little bit. We know some other 2024 guys that could be no doubt about it out of our reach. You know, the Cole Sturdas of the world uh, that we've also been able to see. He was at the tournament uh, the day prior of Kennard's game. But dive into the new one we got because this is some this is someone over time. You dive into everyone else that's in on him. That obviously one that could be out of our reach as well. But it's definitely an interesting one. Yeah, uh, new offer, Jack Daughtery. Um a six seven forward from up in Wisconsin. Um, I think he got an Indiana State offer the other day, but this is a six seven forward, like I mentioned, that has very good scoring ability up there in Wisconsin. I think that he's a he's a three star. I think that eventually um, could get out of reach, but right now, Ball State, Illinois State, Indiana State, Wisconsin, Milwaukee, and us have offered him. High level score. This is a guy that it was scoring in the 40s, but I noticed that some of his retweets that when he was scoring 40 points, there was Georgia, Wisconsin, Iowa, teams of those nature in attendance to watch him. So this is another guy like Cole Serta that'll get out of reach real fast. Yeah, he's got great size. At some point, he's going to put more weight on just watching his film. I mean, it comes easy for him, no doubt. And you know, then he's just jogging down the next – like, it, it comes easy for him for where he's playing. You have Phenom University and Wisconsin. We know we have ties there just in general. That's where the interest, I'm sure, comes from. But you mentioned, yeah, I mean, uh, Josh Hurts is in on him as well, and you mentioned some of the other teams and Milwaukee, even some other mid-majors, some other high majors as well. He will probably get out of our reach. We know we've been surprised before, uh, but he will definitely take off with a whole another year of high school. He's just going to keep putting up numbers that will get him out of our reach. But at least the interest is there. We know we're in on guys, and we wouldn't put anything past Pat Monahan up in that area. And in general, obviously, we would think that Marcus and Dalton, who, by the way, I remember hearing Dalton on his in the doghouse say that him and Marcus played against one another in high school. Barely kind of knew each other. And, um, you know, obviously, Marcus was a year before Dalton that maybe they had some ties with that and the Wisconsin ties. And I doubt those two know this kid, obviously. And, because over time, you know, you know, passing of the torch kind of thing, if that would ever happen, but we're thinking not. But we've been surprised before. Let's talk about a guy that we were kind of surprised about, and that was um, that was Kennard Davis. He had a performance of a lifetime against O'Fall or against Chicago Simeon. We knew he had the second to last game. He was the main event of the Highland game, and so we know Simeon's got the Rubin brothers, guys we wanted. Um, just, you know, incredible talents. And there was even, you know, at, at times throughout this game where they were kind of lackluster, they had their moments. Some guys were on the bench. 
not really, you know, Miles, they weren't in really in foul trouble, but he was sitting on the end of the bench, looked like he was pouting. Clearly, he came in down the stretch and, and was scoring. And then we mentioned West was nice going to you and I, but Noah Kennard, I mean, his team looks at him when they need something, you know, need points. You know, he's a great driver. He, you know, he's making his threes. He's making his free throws. He got called for some travels on, like, good hop steps that would work in college, maybe. Uh, we know, you know, they like to blow the whistle a little bit more in high school at times, but so strong of a player, Noah. His on-ball defense is awesome, especially at his size, moving his feet so well. I just picked apart – if I were to pick apart the only thing of his game that I noticed in the two times I've watched him is his off-ball defense. He can be watching a little bit uh, and not really collapse or help out. You know, he's looking to get the ball and go as well. But his on-ball defense, Noah, is next level, and that's why we think maybe – when he gets in here next year, that's a huge reason why he plays along with everything else he can do with that size and that position. Yeah, absolutely. With his length and his be able to slide his feet and is just very impressive defensively. Um, their whole team defensively after a slow start has really turned it on. Moo um, Moo had 17 points and eight rebounds, two assists in this one. Um, he uh, put a statement on an exclamation, uh, exclamation point on a 13-6 run um, in that third quarter to put him up 10 with a two-handed dunk. Just really, really impressive. Um, they know – Kennard uh, said they know they got off the slow, slow start, but everybody was downing them, and they're slowly picking, picking it up. Um, this is their final, like, actual showcase game of the season, so it's time to focus on and – Kennard did say the goal is to win a state championship. Everyone is starting to pick it up. He just and then he he went on to say that it's really good. No one's really mad about coming off the bench. They just know what they bring to the table, not to do too much. It's working. We're executing, and getting it done, and it starts with him leading the way. They they have some sophomores that are going to be really good on that team. So as a leader, you see it out there on the floor with Moo Moo. He's been really consistent in this five game winning streak for him. Yeah, we talked about the steal that we could potentially have for him. Like I said, kind of a surprise when we got him because uh, he was near the top of our radar at it. And just watching and being able to watch him play, you know, we're blessed to have been able to do that locally in these big shootouts. And, I mean, this was the biggest test possible. And he even said, yeah, quote, that was to send a message. Because he talked about, you know, them, uh, everyone doubting them whenever they had their slow start. And, yeah, they started to get healthy. You mentioned, yeah, that sophomore, that 6'5 sophomore is going to go somewhere. He, They were kind of managing his minutes down the stretch. He was kind of in foul trouble, and but they didn't need him down the very stretch of the game. And we mentioned Kennard. I mean, he had a dunk in this game, baseline. I mean, he he's the full package. We're really excited about him. We mentioned when we got him, this is the biggest commit since Marcus, we would like to think. And just being able to watch him play, you know, he he breeds it. I mean, he's he's every bit of it. So, it's really cool being able to tweet about him, him, Mike, and retweet our stuff. And uh, like I said, yeah, I mean, for the most, you mentioned the state championship. Yeah, he, I mean, he's a two-time state champ himself on great Vashon teams, and they have 16 as a program, and he wants more of it. So that's all we can hope for. Thinking, I mean, the way they played, if they're doing that against Simeon, who's ranked, I think, top 10 in the country, like their third or fourth loss of the season, they're definitely going to live up to it because everyone's talking about how they're the, quote, small school of St. Louis that, the teams that he plays, he'll be able to definitely go and keep defending his state titles. So we're thinking that's the case. We'll keep following Kennard clearly as the season goes on and any other 2024 guys that pop up. We know 2023 guys in general we'll talk about the way to build this team, thinking we're done with that 
2023. And if it's just Kennard, we're completely fine with that. So that's everything to talk about. Separately now, Noah, let's talk about these upcoming, before we dive into the Flames, these upcoming games, starting with tonight's game and then obviously the other ones that are going on tomorrow. Yeah, we got a big showdown tonight down in Kentucky. Drake travels down to Murray State. Drake a three-point favorite on the road here. Um, a lot of people think picking Murray State in this one, being such a great home team. Um, but I think then Drake coming off two double OT games that they could be tired and not have enough in the tank. But I think this is where Drake either puts a statement on things or – um, they, I know they're not going to look ahead to Saturday with our matchup, but this is where I think they they put their statement on it, put their stamp on things, and saying that they're a true contender in this league, going on the road here and picking up a big value. And I will take Drake minus three in this one. I mean, you, you, you this should be a a pick 'em and an even kind of game. I understand the three point favor from Drake. I mean, yeah, they're they're hot. They're able to win that double OT on the road. We talk about, didn't we say or didn't you say that they went they were in Chicago, watched the Bulls play when on their on their travel down or just or wherever it was you said they're watching NBA game on their way down. Cause yeah, their travel's been crazy with the double overtime. It seemed like that would clearly like make them a little groggy going into these matchups. But you know, they're healthy. Tucker's back off the performance that he did and that's the thing. I, I'm torn a little bit as well. I'll go with Murray plus I'll go with Murray plus the three and obviously the cover and to win because not only clearly do we need it, but I think Murray clearly shows themselves at home outside of when they played us. But now they got Brian. We talked about Brian kind of wasn't himself in that matchup, but it's gonna be a great game in about 30 minutes when it tips off. Looking forward to watching it. Uh obviously should be a fun. I'll take Murray because we need it. And I actually think they'll get the home win and then Noah. Uh, before I pass it on to you again, Belmont at Missouri State. Missouri State's a one-point favorite at home. That's whether it takes Clay into account or not. I just think they know they're a good home team. Belmont's been eh on the road, it seems like, but that's a semi-pick'em game. You know, all the games that we need to happen, I think Belmont can squeak this one by, but I'll go with Missouri State getting the win that we need because I don't think it's too crazy. Missouri State has a full team, as we know. It can give Belmont some issues. What do you think? Yeah, I think this is where I, I said about Drake. I mean, good teams win at home, but great teams win on the road. I think Belmont can also make that statement. I'm going to take Belmont plus one. I think Ben Shepard, um, I mean, Dana said he expects Donovan to play, but um, the way Belmont's starting to play here, starting to pick things up again after their two-game skid, just like when we had our two-game skid, um, I think they sweep the Bears like we did. Valpo at Indiana State's 13-point road dogs, Valpo is. I think they cover the 13, but I think Indiana State wins at home. Noah, let me go through them, and then you can just give me your predictions at the end. You and I at Evansville, minus nine. I think you and I covers that minus nine. They're ticked off from their from their losing streak. I think that happens. And then another big one, the, the, the finale of the I-74 this season – uh, regular season wise, Bradley minus seven and a half on the road at Illinois State. No, this could be we 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 were there to witness it, and with the rivalry, I think it intensifies. Illinois State could get this win. I think they can maybe cover the seven and a half. We mentioned how they almost beat them at Carver. Thinking Bradley of the three teams we want to lose, Bradley, I think to me seems like this is the one they could win. We we saw or, you know Brian World preaching about how Illinois State size gave them fits. We mentioned the zone. 
uh, thinking he'll be more well prepared tomorrow night. I think Bradley wins in a close game. What do you think of those three? Yeah, I definitely think uh, Valpo covers and well, Indiana State's at home. So if they hit 19 threes again, that'll be an easy cover for him. But I think Valpo can cover the 13. Um, then Evansville, yeah, I will take Evansville to cover. I think they can hopefully, I mean, they got to, like we keep saying, they got to win one at some point. But I think you and I um, won't cover the nine, but I think you and I still gets the win. But yeah, I think Bradley, like I said about the last two, I mean, if the three of the four top teams, we know we have the easier matchup of the four, but if, if those teams can get road wins, um, that's huge just showing that they're at the top of the league. I think Illinois State covers the seven and a half easily, but I think Bradley can squeak by on the road. So um, some interesting matchups, obviously three big ones. We're watching, obviously, the one tonight. Um, can't wait till after we jump off here and watch that one down in Kentucky tonight. Yeah, that's why it's important for us, knowing that of the four teams, we are at home and we're at, you know, a lesser opponent, that they have all tough matchups on the road. But you're right, great teams do win on the road. Good teams win at home. It's usually the definitely the saying, hoping that we can get some help, with starting with that game you mentioned. Yes, looking forward to seeing that when we do get off here uh, now, no, let's talk about our first matchup with the Flames. First matchup in the Valley. Uh, they're interesting, and we'll dive into them here a little bit in terms of just their personnel. You know, they obviously left a lot of games out there. Let me dive into the matchup, and then you can dive into what they had been doing all season long to get to this point and maybe even some of those close games. This is our uh, – the, there have been 10 previous meetings between the two dating back to 1975 season. We lead it 6-4. to four. And we've won the last two. We're 4-0 all-time against them at home. And we're holding them just under 55 points per game at home in the series. And I remember Mike had his, you know, Saluki flashbacks. And there are a lot of instances, a lot of games we've had against them previously. I believe, whatever the stat was, unless you have it, the last time we played them, I think, was 2014-ish. Uh, so, I mean, it's been a little bit. We know, thinking about, what they are now, they've always been a decent team. We know, I think Mike mentioned in the bracket busters, we played them one season and they're interesting. And we talk about how they were just a prime candidate once Loyola left, you know, their facilities are phenomenal. Uh, we talked about maybe hopefully we can see it down the end of the stretch ourselves in the regular season. Um, you know, cause they, the thing is they just don't have a fan base at all down in Chicago. They're right by right there within the city. It was a great ad though, replacing another Chicago team along with everyone else. Noah, they've struggled Clearly, the record shows it, but we everyone agrees that they're playing better than what their record shows. They've had struggle in a conference, but diving into what they had even in their non-conference, and like I said, some of the close games they've had in conference that could have flip-flopped it for wins. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, we're 6-4 and all-time in this series, 4-0 and at home. Um, so this is the first time we get to see them in the Valley. But, yeah, this is a, a really young team with Yoklich. Um, we went over his history and a couple other guys that Valley fans will probably know. Uh, Matt, their director of player personnel, Madison Williams, played at Illinois State, had to retire because of medical issues. Then a guy we know pretty well is uh, C.J. Rivers, played at Drake, but played in the South 7 at Cahokia. Um, but this is a team that they went through some tough games and they played tough matchups. They play every game tough. They have eight of their guys – 
are either freshmen or sophomores. So this is a young team where they battle every game. They're two and twelve in conference, ten and fifteen overall. Come off a win Saturday at home against Evansville, but they lose. They take Illinois State to overtime. They only lose by seven versus Bradley at home. They lose by four at Missouri State. Could have won that one. They just have so many games where they trick Drake to overtime. I mean, besides getting blown out at Bradley and by twenty at Indiana State, where they're two tough places to play, they don't get blown out. They're in every game. Um, so this they played Loyola earlier this year. We know Loyola's not as tough as they usually are, but only lost by seven to Loyola this year. So I really like this team. Um, they lose only, I think, two guys off this team, and that's one of them is Trey Anderson, uh, grad transfer. So in, in in conference, he's averaging – Trey Anderson is averaging 11 a game. They're led by Jace Carter, the sophomore, averaging 16 points a game, seven rebounds. This guy does it all. I think this guy can be on the second team all-conference easily. Um if he continues to play out the rest of the stretch, because he's going to be top five in scoring at this point. But I mentioned Trey Anderson, Toby Akani is a really good forward. I think that'll be Marcus's matchup, at least on the offensive side of the ball, 10 points a game for him, seven rebounds. Um, Philip Shagobal, he's a really good stretch, big man that could probably um, give us fits. We know some stretch big man in the past rank mass has, can step out and hit it. So he's he's right about eight points a game. Um, then some really, really interesting freshmen they have that I really like, Jalen Jackson, Christian Jones, and Stephen Clay. So I'm really excited to watch this team in person tomorrow night because um, adding a transfer, replacing Trey Anderson next year, this team with the experience their freshmen are getting and another, another year under the belt for Okani, uh, Schoball, and – Carter, this team could be really dangerous, but it's going to be a feisty one. But I'm really excited to see this team tomorrow night. So am I. And besides the tidbits I said I saw against Evansville, I haven't really seen them play a whole lot. But you always, whenever we go through them and their losses, when we go around the valley or in general, you always know there's at least one player of that trio that scores 25 or more. It seems like maybe not as much Okani, but definitely Jace. And Trey Anderson, we mentioned how Clay broke out in the previous game. You're right. They're one of the youngest teams in the country, people have been saying. And and Yaklich has said in previous either teleconferences or interviews that, you know, a lot of these games when they're not able to close it or finish it because they are kind of young. They don't can't really rely on anyone else outside of some of their main guys. And Yaklich was going in on Trey or Jace Carter and how he recruited him, said he's a great kid on and off the court that he was going to see, going to recruit a different player that you know was playing against him in a game that who he said now is in Florida but he he saw Jace and then got the connections with him to be able to try and recruit him and um he's great and you mentioned yeah he's probably going to be on an all valley all valley team but they all have their own you know Jace with the scoring O'Connor with his defense and his versatility and then Trey you mentioned coming here this year I mean they all play they're the only players on the team that play 30 or more minutes they're only players in double figures Okani does average seven a game. I mean, yeah, it's like I said, they, they we talked about trios. I mean, this is the perfect kind of trio you want. A guy leads you in points, one leads in rebounds, one leads in assists, and Jace even leads them with almost two steals a game. And then Okani 
with just over a block. So they carry the load most of the way. And we we're talking about great trios in the Valley. It's great. Like they're, they're on a two and 12 team, but they have arguably the best trio in the league. We could go through and we can name some that are better, but production wise, these guys fit the bill of at least being top five in the league of trios. And that's not too crazy to say. We talk about ours is probably X the way he consistently plays uh, at a nice level that fits next to Marcus and Lance for us. UICs is right up there. No doubt about it. Like I said, they all do, they all know their role and they all do their, do their own thing. And diving in a little bit of what they are as a team, they're eighth in team offense, eighth in team defense. They are, you know, second to last in field goal percentage as a team, eighth in three point percentage. So they don't shoot it all that well at times. You know, they'll have, like I said, those main guys that will do most of the work. They're 10th and they're 10th in the league in free throws, about 66% as a team. They're seventh in assists. Uh, they don't turn it over, or they do turn it over. Excuse me. Illinois State still has remained the top team. UIC is the, the team with the second most turnovers. Hey, we're right behind them at third. Um, and then the biggest thing with them is block shots. They have 17 more than the next team, which is Missouri State, 118 on the season, 4.7 a game with UIC. We we are ninth with 1.96, 49 on the season to their 118. So that's the thing they do most. We mentioned their versatility. They'll get after you. And I think this is definitely not a game we need to overlook because they can score, you know, at will, especially if you're not – and us being a defensive team, you would think we we can be able to handle them most of the time. But And it is Evansville, but the way some of those other guys were shooting, it can get away from you at times. They're ninth in, in offensive rebounding and they are ninth in defense and rebounding. So they don't really crash the boards. They'll kind of just live or die with their shooting. Um, but in comparing the two teams, uh, they – let's see here. They have – let's see. They they only – they score more points than us, 67. We're at 66 points then, but they do allow 70 a game. We mentioned some of those other stats. They do rebound better than us. Underneath us in, in assists, we mentioned the blocks. They're at 6.6 steals to our eight. And like I said, with their shooting, they'll live or die. They only shoot about 41.7. We're at 45.6. And like I said, if, if end of the day, and they'll probably will remain at, you mentioned the percentage of Evansville not remaining, the 12 UIC is going to stay at the 11 more than likely. They could be one of the most dangerous 11 seeds, clearly because it's the first time ever, but the second to last seeds and conference tournament in a long time. So talented. And we said, Lyakovich has been around the block. It's interesting, and I just see Jace Carter here. He's only a 68% free throw shooter. He does shoot 46 total. So, no, I mean, the matchup predictor has this at 92.6. Clearly, I wouldn't say this you know, this one of those games where you look ahead to the next one. We talked about what the other teams have to go through this week, and you know, we get the quote-unquote easier matchup. We know no game is easy, and this is one that, yeah, I'll be interested in watching them play in person as well, see how they do. Noah, it is a – 128 and a half over under, and we are 12 and a half point favorites. Give me your predictions on those, a dog of the game, and your final thoughts overall to what can obviously lead us to a victory that we clearly need tomorrow night. Yeah, I think, I think, uh, I, I mean, I can't, I just don't see back to back blowouts, uh, by this team. Um, I think this is a team, like we said, every, every game it feels like they're in it. Um, I think it could get out towards the end. It may be a 10 point game, but that 12 and a half is just a little too, little too big for me. So I think UIC covers, um, but I will take, I'll take the under as well because they don't score the ball as much as we do either. So um, 
they've really struggled on the offensive end. So I think they're like 323rd in adjusted offense efficiency. So um, not very good in that category. So I will go with them covering and the under then dog of the game. I think, uh, I think this is going to be a, another JD game. This is a team where you kind of mentioned it. They don't read the, they don't rebound the ball well on either side of the ball. They are 340, 341st in the country in offensive rebounding percentage and 298th in the country in offense or in defensive rebounding percentage. So uh, I think this is a game where JD could, JD Troy could steal Clarence, steal some offensive rebounds and we can, get some extra possessions and take advantage of that. So um, I will go with JD with some more reboundings. I think he hits double digits in rebounding and scores about six to eight points in this one. So um, another big game for JD just continues to play well. That's astonishing. 341. That's near the very bottom of teams that are eligible of division one and now we know why they lose. You know, not only can they can put up seven, they can put up sixty-seven points, but they'll allow seventy, and they will not do anything else but try to score at will. So you know that's where we obviously take advantage of them in our defense, make it hard on them. Uh, that's what's interesting. If I compare like them and even a clayless and trembleless Missouri State, pound for pound, the talent's about even. I might even give the edge to Missouri State if you count like the chances in the Austin Masons, Mogbo, like and we were able to beat them by 20. I don't know what their morale was, you know, being on the road and not having those guys and how they would have played. Um, and we and we dove into the reasons why we won that game. But that's what makes me think that we could cover the 12 and a half. And every team's different. And that's why you, you know, you look at the fact that, yeah, they will push the pace a little bit, UIC will, compared to Missouri State, who won't and won't really force those points on you. That's where the under can definitely play a factor. That's what's interesting to me. I think we can cover the 12 and a half because it seems like a game that you need to. I can I agree with you that it seems like it's not in us to win by almost 20 back to back, you know, unless you know that are non-D1 opponents like we did, you know, earlier in the season. Um, I think, yeah, 128 and a half. I could see the under as well. I could see us winning by over 12 and a half because I think we need to. And because I think it's there because clearly they don't do anything else. If our defense stands tough we can win this game because they won't do a whole lot else. Uh, I, I, I'm i only going to choose Marcus because I want to see what he can do against an Okani if he guards him or against some of those other versatile guys that come off the bench, if he's able to be aggressive. Like their, their defense is, you know, eighth. So it's kind of like, you know, what they're going to do against him and if he'll take advantage of it. And if Jace Carter is going to score, you know, like I said, some of those guys will go for 25 or more. If one of those guys do that, not thinking they will – you never know. We've had a couple guys drop 25 and 27 against us this year. Uh, you know, but those are the Ben Shepherds, Bowen Bourne. So um, or Tuckers or whoever the heck I'm thinking of that else did it. But um, I don't really see that happening. If if it happens and so be it, they do have the talent. I think if if they do do it, we need to match them. And I think Marcus can do that. Like I said, I'll be interested to see that kind of matchup. So it should be fun. It is a seven o'clock game at home. Like I said, there's not a whole lot of home games left. We talked about the one previously against Bradley that is coming up. It's a big one. We expect people to show out now and hope people can uh, show up in this one. I wanted to touch on, there is a, they're giving out vouchers for tomorrow's game as well for, um, I can find in here, $11 tickets include $7 concession voucher. If you use a promo code 11, 
for tomorrow's game. So they're, you know, we talk about the things they do to get people there, but they're doing even disc, you know, stuff with that for the concessions and stuff. So hopefully that can draw people. The dog pound's doing something typical stuff. Like I said, only three left. So people need to show out no matter, no matter who it's against to, to know that this team, if they continue to win, remain at the very top of the standing should be interesting that Murray, the Murray Drake game's tipping off shortly. So we're going to get to that. So for Nick Malone, no alerts. Looking forward to it. Interesting one tomorrow. Go dogs.